Hello and welcome. Uh, my name's Stephen Dickens and welcome to the I'm a Mainframer podcast from the Open Mainframe Project. I have the pleasure today of being joined by the COO of GT Software, Steve Hassett. Welcome to the show, Steve. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Yeah, always a pleasure. Um, Steve, just for our listeners, can you just give us a brief introduction to your role um, and kind of where you fit in the GT software team and, and just sort of get us orientated so we can get started? Yeah, sure. Uh, so if you're not familiar with GT software, uh, we are a 35-plus-year-old software company based in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, our, our focus from day one has been on uh, tools for mainframe software developers. Initially, that was for BMS screen mapping and help screens on uh, the old green screen uh, terminals. Today, our focus is really uh, and laser focused on uh, mainframe integration. So making it easy to integrate those legacy applications through APIs to web, web mobile and other applications. Uh, within GT, I'm Chief Operating Officer, and I'm responsible for uh, all day-to-day -day operations, sales, marketing, technology. Uh, That's and, a good, uh, great place to yeah. start, Steve. Yeah. I mean, if you can give us a little perspective of Steve Hassett, the person, you know, um, I've obviously got your profile up in front of me here, but just give me a view of kind of where you're based out of and, and a little bit of your personal journey, and, and that will sort of give some color commentary to our listeners here. Yeah, it, it, you know, it, it's funny that, you know, everything comes around. So I started my career after college. I went to Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute in upstate New York, uh, and my first job was a mainframe software developer. And, you know, that was uh, back in the day and then went back to uh, business school at the University of Virginia, uh, did some work in uh, M&A and finance and worked for a number of different companies and some consulting. Uh, then in 2000, founded a, an early SaaS web mobile uh, software company, sold that in 2004 uh, and uh, worked for an, a running businesses for a number of different software companies after that. And today uh, I'm running the GT software business and I've been here for about two and a half years. So I went from uh, COBOL to SAS and now uh, sort of helping COBOL integrate with SAS. So a journey, a journey yeah. for sure, Steve, by the sound of it. So uh, logical journey. Yeah, make it uh, certainly a journey we're seeing a lot more of in the industry right now, and particularly in the mainframe space, as people try and sort of embark on that journey to sort of open APIs, RESTful APIs, sort of connecting back-end system of records, if you will, to those front-end systems of engagement. So, so maybe just talk me through kind of what GT software are doing in that space. Just give me a flavor, if you will, of, of kind of where you're intersecting with that type of dynamic and how you're helping your clients kind of move that game forward. Yeah, so we, we have a, a tool called Ivory Service Architect, and uh, it's the easiest way, uh, we believe by far the easiest way, 
to create REST and SOAP APIs to connect to legacy mainframe applications uh, so that you can create a, an API that's exposed to the world so that you can you know, create the, these new, uh, you know, newer cutting edge applications and do all your development around the mainframe. So we like to think of it uh, and to borrow a term that IDC uses, which is to help create the connected mainframe. So what that means is you keep that, sort, that core system of record, but you do all your new innovation around the outside as opposed to trying to, uh, you do the very heavy lifting of rewriting those legacy applications. Mm. And what are you seeing when you're engaging out with those clients who are on that journey? You know, obviously a lot of our listeners are, are sort of at the intersection of open source and mainframe. You know, how are you seeing that sort of RESTful API, SOAP API kind of engage with those agile sort of DevOps savvy, you know, cloud native type players? Uh, you know, it, it, well, we help in that in, in quite a bit because what we enable uh, the mainframe development teams to do is to adopt a more agile methodology when developing APIs and do it on an iterative basis. So it's not a you know, six-month waterfall project where at the end of it you get an API, but it's actually something you can build on and iterate on a daily basis, and that, and that helps them. Uh, you know, the, it's interesting, the big thing you know, that I see and I hear every day is when I tell somebody what I do, they kind of give me a funny look. And, you know, why would you be developing things for mainframes? Uh, and what they don't realize is they interact with it every day. And that if they're working for a bank, they've got billions of lines of COBOL code and globally trillions of dollars of transactions flowing through those COBOL systems. And it's, a, it's an imperative to develop the integration. So, I mean, it's interesting. The title of the podcast is I'm a Mainframer. And it's interesting to talk about the reaction you get when you mention that you are a Mainframer as you, in, as you meet people. Can you sort of give us a little flavor of your personal journey and how you've sort of come to self-describe yourself as, 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 as a mainframer, just to give some, I suppose, personal commentary that will help sort yeah. of frame the overall message for people. So, uh, you know, again, you so having started my, my career as a COBOL programmer and come full circle through SAS and now to GT software, the thing that attracted me to the company was, you know, the re recognition of how hard it is to modernize legacy systems and how hard it is to integrate legacy systems without having the right tools in place. You know, and for me, that, that, that was uh, the number one thing that, that attracted me to this business and wanted to join the team uh, and help steer the company in the future. Okay, and I suppose, trying to get underneath that what do you see as those big challenges is it a perception challenge is it a technical challenge is it a commercial challenge what it when you're seeing that dynamic the, you know the the reason why a gt software exists you know it, is it is it a combination of those factors or is it as i say a, a perception commercial or technical reason that that you see is holding customers back most 
Yeah, uh, that, that's a great question because it's, it's, it's something that I've encapsulated in what I call the five stages of mainframe grief. <laughs> uh, so and, is this a, we've, we've pivoted to a grief counseling podcast steve is that what you're trying uh, to absolutely. tell me? We, we we have grief counseling <laughs> for mainframers and actually it's for companies um so the first yeah the first stage is uh at, at a corporate level it's denial you know they they know they need digital transformation and so they're going to try to rewrite the legacy applications or hand code uh integrations to try to modernize and that doesn't go very well and it's not very fast. So stage two is anger. Uh, you know, and at this stage, you've got the board driving the CEO and the CIO and the leadership team to modernize their applications and it's not going well and it's not going as fast as they expect. And so they say, let's rip it out, start over and, and move off the mainframe. And well, that doesn't go well either. And so, you know, in year five of the five-year plan, uh, or the three-year plan, they haven't really gotten off the mainframe and they realize they can't get off the mainframe. They go into stage three, which is bargaining. And, you know, they think, well, they can try to do it themselves and, and accelerate uh, progress on their own. And, and that doesn't really work. And then, you know, the board realizes that they can't get off the mainframe. And so they, they search for another alternative uh, and, you know, they go through a period of grief where someone says, you know, how come we can't, you know, uh, modernize as quickly as we thought? And uh, as a friend of mine who's a software architect said, you know, it, it's crazy to think that you can replace 40 years of legacy code in five years. Uh, and, you know, that's a, a discouraging period for the organization. And finally, they come to the stage of acceptance. And they realize that the, the, what they need to do is let the mainframe do what the mainframe does and build around those core systems uh, and build RESTful and SOAP APIs around those core systems. Uh, and, and we are seeing that you know, in every one of our customers, and uh, new and old, that they've gone through this process where they thought they were going to get off the mainframe and the board got engaged and wanted them to get off and it wasn't possible, so that they're searching for something new. So I, I think I can, as I look at your LinkedIn profile here, Steve, I think Chief Grief Counseling Officer is is probably a better title than the one you've got written here. <laughs> it, it, it requires some level of sensitivity. <laughs> some level of sense, very politically correct. Yeah. So uh, now that's an interesting... But, inter but really, the flip side of that is... Uh, you, we have our customers turning to us and saying, you know, how can we better make the case for the mainframe? Yeah, but mm -hmm. they still have this pressure. And so, you know, we, we try to work with them and, and help, uh, you know, help them develop those, you know, the arguments, which you'll know, begin with what everybody knows. There's nothing more reliable and scalable and faster than a mainframe. Uh, and it's not just about the box, but it's about the 50 years of applications you've built on that box uh, that that are designed for your business and your regulatory environment. And there aren't off-the-shelf applications that you can just plug in. Uh, well, yeah, first it's, it's, reaction. 
It's interesting. You hear so much about it. It's not so much as you would describe around the sort of 50 years of code. For me, I'd describe it as 50 years of business logic that's been written into code that then executes on the platform. And I think that's what, from certainly my interactions with clients, they tend to get ignored. You know, if these were just COBOL programs, then it would be an easier migration. But what they are is a codification of the business logic. And in a lot of organizations, you find that that business logic's not understood, let alone the code that's understood. Exactly. When I say 50 years of code, you're absolutely right. It's 50 years of business logic. And the people that develop that logic are long retired. And it's impossible to try to, you know, nearly impossible to try to figure out, you know, what 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 the underlying behaviors you're trying to get out of uh, your systems are, uh, which is why you know it's it's a superior approach to try to just preserve that and build around the outside. It's a renovate rather than rip and replace, is what you're advocating. You know it, exactly. You know so if you move into an uh, if you buy a new house uh, or if you buy an old house and you know, you have to decide what to do first. The last thing you want to do is upgrade the electrical and the plumbing. You'd rather figure out how to make that work as it is and then build a new kitchen. And, you know, in the uh, mainframe world, and we help enterprises invest in the kitchen rather than the plumbing. Yeah, that's a great way to describe it. Make make the house look nice and a better place to live in rather than focus on the wiring and the plumbing that nobody actually gets to see. Right. Which is very, exactly. and having done that in a previous house, is very expensive for very little tangible return from a, an experience of living in the house. Exactly. I, that's where it came from. I've been through yeah. that as well. <laughs> you share the same scars by yeah. the sound of it, Steve. Yeah. So, um, give me a perspective, if you would, of, of how you see the mainframe market right now always interested to engage with the senior leaders of the open mainframe project membership and to to sort of get a perspective of way, where they see the market. If you could give me sort of that market perspective, um, that would be great. Well, yeah. So, I mean, so what, what we've seen is, you know, sort of the low hanging fruit of companies that could move off the mainframe, you know, who, don't have the need for the stability and reliability and were able to buy commercial applications to migrate. Uh, most of those have done that. Uh, and you know, now you're dealing with the more complex organizations and the complex business logic where it's more difficult. So for what we do in terms of, you know, making the mainframe, the, uh, you know, the, 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 the tr- Transitioning from mainframe to connected mainframe, we see it accelerating. And I'll give you a couple of examples. You know, in banking especially, we see two things driving it. You know, one is open banking and one is real-time payments. Um, And open banking is the idea that you can create APIs to allow other companies to connect to your core systems. And as you probably know, it's the law in the UK, uh, and and it's coming soon to Europe where every bank will be required to securely open up those core systems. Uh, and, and, and that's pretty profound. And, you know, it, it's, a, it's, it's a complete change in mindset. So 
in the old days, when you write a check, you give it to the bank or you, you give it to you, the correspondent would give it to the bank and they'd batch them up literally in a batch and bring them to the federal reserve in the U S and the federal reserve would clear the checks and it would take a week or so uh, in a batch. And then they went to electronic images, but it was still batch clearing at the federal reserve. And it took a long time. Now consumers are driving the need and the, the demand for instant payments. So if you've used uh, Venmo or Zelle, you know, you instantly transfer money and it goes instantly out of your account into the new account. And that's taking over in, in many aspects of payments. Uh, and you know, in a faster way than, than credit cards, was it, it means verifying the funds exist from the payer and they immediately go to the payee. But what a lot of people are realizing now is that impacts every other system. As you move from batch to real time, uh, you have to verify balances in real time. You can't have any latency so that you have $100 go in and $300 go out because you know, the balances weren't updated in real time. You have to check for fraud in real time, verify identity, make sure you're not transacting with a restricted company, country, or person. And you have to do that all in real time. And the systems weren't set up for that. Uh, and, and, but, you know, it's, it's fairly, you know, it, it is addressable by proper integrations, both inbound and outbound from those core systems. And, and that's a huge trend that's driving our business. And that, how do you see the mainframe in that trend? Just maybe give the listeners a perspective of kind of how the mainframe's kind of reacting to that trend, if you will, Steve. Yeah, I mean, what? So, I mean, what what we're seeing is you know, building new capability, doing things like having the legacy system uh, could be COBOL or PL one. Uh, call out to a third party to check to see if a person is a terrorist or an unrestricted list. Uh, and that's a pretty hard thing to do, but it's a critical thing to do. And, and the other, obviously, is uh, having systems call in to aggregate accounts and initiate payments uh, fr- from, the, from the other end. And what, it, what, it, what, it, what it's doing is actually solidifying the position of the mainframe because again you're building these new capabilities around the outside and, and bolstering the mainframe with APIs uh, to to keep its you know, keep its position as uh, you know as the the bank's core system uh, and I think it you know it's very very beneficial and it helps accelerate the recognition that you know the rip and replace is not a good strategy. Uh, you know, it's it's if you're doing it for modernization, uh, you know there are better and faster ways to accelerate your business transformation. So I think you've given us a really good perspective there, Steve, and that's been really interesting to listen to for me and I hope for our listeners. One of the questions I always ask as we start to come towards the end of our time here together with the guests is if you could look ahead 
if you could have that classic crystal ball and look ahead to where you see the market going over a two, three, five, ten-year horizon, where would you see both GT software and, and the underlying mainframe um, over that type of time horizon? Uh, uh, that's a complicated question. Uh, <laughs> but so, you know, there are a couple of things that, you know, that, that are worth uh, mentioning within that. Uh, you know, one is what we hear from uh, customers. One of the things that one of the reasons they're trying to migrate off the mainframe is, uh, and I think this is really interesting, is a perceived lack of talent in Asian population, people aging out of being COBOL developers. Uh, and I've always thought that, you know, you sort of economics and supply and demand will fix that. And, and we're seeing that happen mm. uh, in that, you know, that your salaries are rising. Demand is there for the people with this skill set. And so we're seeing more people go into learning these legacy languages. Uh, and, and in fact, a really amazing piece of evidence of that is in Atlanta, we have something that's being developed called the Georgia FinTech Academy. Uh, and it's part of the university system of Georgia. And, and it, it, when I first heard, heard about it, it sounded very esoteric. It's like, you know, how do you teach FinTech? What, is that a thing you teach? And so, but what they've done is they went out to some of the larger financial companies uh, in Georgia and said, what are your needs? What kind of people do you need? How, how can we help train them? And you know what the first you know what the first mandate is, COBOL programmers. So, you know we're seeing that demand be met today, uh, and so that's number one. And so taking the lack of talent out of the equation, uh, in terms of a, a long-term reason to try to migrate, uh, I, I see that you know not being uh, a true issue within a couple of years. Mm, I tend um, to agree. I, I think yeah. just a free market economy. If college kids can see that it's, you know, two to three x to program in COBOL yeah. versus it is in Python or Ruby or you know any of the Node.js or any of the modern languages, you know, you've got to learn one of these languages. Why would you learn a language where you can earn a third of what you can earn? Right. earn you know, we're all coin operated to a certain extent. You know, I can't imagine a co learning COBOL is much different to learning Python um, from a sort of length of time to get proficient. So why wouldn't you go and take the higher paying job to be a COBOL programmer? Right, exa exactly right. And, you know, my, you know the, to extend that, part of the reasons that, you know, uh, folks have moved had moved away is because uh, – COBOL programmers, mainframe programmers, administrators were stuck in a lower tranche of uh, pay. And so it wasn't attractive. Uh, you know, but, you know, as you said, you know, a language, you know, is a language. And, you know, what, what platform it's running on isn't all that, you know, really material to the satisfaction you get from creating something new and amazing. And as you have more ability to integrate both inbound and outbound to those legacy systems, you can create some new and extraordinary customer experiences. 
So and, if you, you know, that so if you see that, a lot of people. yeah, I can imagine it would, Steve. I can imagine it would, and, and I'm certainly seeing the same dynamic. So if you see the skills challenge evaporating over a two- to three-year horizon, what else do you see in store for the platform? Well, I, I, I see you know, uh, a huge demand for more, uh, you know, as I said, more, more interoperability, more connectivity, more APIs. Uh, you know, that's, that, that's one of the reasons we're here. Uh, and and that being driven by not just banking but every business moving to you know more of a, a, a real time operating methodology uh, and you know that that again solidifies the existing platforms and provides the ability to create new platforms around the outside and the sort of the way you know I refer to it is you know going from a batch of hundreds and thousands to running your jobs as a batch of one. You know, that's real time. Execute one transaction at a time. Uh, and, you know, we're seeing mainframes being adapted for that. So, Steve, as we look to wrap up, is there any other sort of parting comments, anything you'd give maybe to some of our younger listeners as they look to embark on their mainframe career? Is there any sort of sage advice you'd give <laughs> as, a, as, a, as a mainframer of some sort of standing in the industry to them as they maybe potentially look to embark on a career on this platform? Yeah. So uh, this is, this is uh, one thing that, that I've seen that, that is a real obstacle for, well, not just the new people, but the people that have been in, in the industry for a long time is that they're not deeply engaged with the strategy of the rest of the organization or even with the rest of the IT organization. And I'll give you an example of that. I was in uh, Europe visiting customers last year, and I was asking them about something called uh, PSD2, the Payment Services Directive 2 in the EU, which is open banking in, in the UK. And I referred to that earlier as the legislation that requires opening up the systems. And the mainframe people we talked to, they were developing APIs to support this, but they didn't know the... Uh, the underlying reason for those development initiatives uh, and therefore they were in a position to really prepare for it and sort of the light bulb went on is they need to understand what the the corporate direction is uh, why from an IT perspective they're moving in that direction and then proactively be able to find solutions to help leverage the mainframe to solve those problems. And, you know, I think at any stage in your career, you know, understanding your company's objectives and not just narrowly focused on delivering a requirement uh, is critical to rising within an organization. Yeah, understanding the impact to the business of what you're creating and what your role is within the business. I think that's very sound advice, Steve. I really do. So, Steve, as as we look to wrap up, would there be any sort of final comments before we uh, give the listeners back some time and get them back into their day? Uh, Other than, you know, to repeat what we've said, which is, you know, excited about the future. Fantastic. And uh, where are we going to take this? Well, Steve, thank you so much for your time. Always appreciate it. Appreciate the support of GT Software for the Open Mainframe Project. 
yeah, and we're excited to be part of that, and excited to uh, you know uh, shortly you talk more about uh, Zowie and the other things that are uh, you know associated with the Open Mainframe Project. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Steve. My name's Stephen Dickens. I've been your host of the I'm a Mainframer podcast brought to you by the Open Mainframe Project. You can click and subscribe and follow us on various platforms, including iTunes. So please take the time to do that. And thank you again for joining us today. And check back in the future for more I'm a Mainframer podcasts. So signing off from me, thank you very much and speak to you soon.